So I love that, that choral piece. It was so joyful and so awesome. And uh, I didn't pick up all the words, but I, I figure if I listen to them a few more times, I might pick up on the lyrics. But it was awesome, really great. Um, I'm just really honored to be here. It's a real privilege to speak to you. I hold uh, Masters University um, in the highest esteem. Uh, they're standing firm while the rest of the culture is drifting away from the Lord. And so it's, it's just really encouraging to see uh, a university that still honors the Lord and actually um, proclaims that his word is true and trustworthy. And so, um, praise God. I'd like to share a little bit about my testimony and then I sh I'll give you, share a, a brief call to arms. Um, so my testimony is that um, I'm a very ordinary person who had a not entirely ordinary life. And so, uh, and God has uh, done things in my life that I'd like to share with you. I grew up in a, a beautiful um, home, a beautiful family, um, but we, we didn't know Christ. So that foundational thing, that profound center, that, that rock, wasn't available to me. So as I was growing up, I had no defense. I was at the, um, at the mercy of the culture. And um, I'd like to describe my first conversion. Um, I loved science. And my science led me, people gave me books about evolution because, well, evolution is science, right? And science is evolution. No. But anyway, um, <laughs> it, it, uh, people gave me actually books uh, by Carl Sagan, who's been very active promoter of evolution and who's always taught that evolution proves there is no God. And so uh, that, that, evolution, that evolutionary interest made me an atheist. The science seemed to prove there is no God. So before I graduated from high school, I was a very, very confident that there is no God and I was proud of my atheism and I was proud um, basically, and I mocked God. And so uh, that was the first spiritual attack in my life. And um, when I went to university, University of Minnesota was a campus in the middle of the city with 40,000 students. 40,000 students. I never saw the same student twice <laughs> in four years. And um, I never knew a professor who knew my name. None of my professors ever knew my name. So it was a big factory. And, um, and it was very dark. It was during the 60s, 60s and 70s. And so um, lots of uh, sex, lots of drugs. Uh, I learned how to smoke pot. I can tell you about pot if you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal now because actually the whole world, is, your, whole, your whole generation is, is going to be stoned a lot. And it's... And Actually, it, it's, it's, it seems funny, but actually it, it, it shakes my soul because pot creates an altered state of mind. And so people who are smoking pot have what I call magical thinking. And I can speak from experience. Things seem really magical. It's like Disneyland, sort of. And 
it's a little bit like um, make your own, you know, it's very spiritual. You can get really spiritual in that state of mind. And right now, our culture is moving toward seeking altered states of mind. It's the big thing. It's mindfulness. It's, it's, um, it's looking for spiritual experiences. And um, I would like to suggest that we really shouldn't be seeking altered states of mind. We should be seeking a right mind. Let us be in our right mind and in no other mind. And so this is a profound message for your generation. Um, so that led to my interest in magic and mysticism and the occult and all kinds of really scary things. And by God's grace, I got through it. And, um, and I just, uh, but I, I realized that was the most dangerous time in my life. And you all are blessed to be in a, the antithetical environment. You know your professors, your professors know you, you know each other, you have community, you have God, and um, so you are really, really blessed. I don't know if you understand how blessed you are. Um, and you'll have plenty of time to learn about all the darkness out there, but right now you are in a, a safe training ground environment, and so be glad. And don't, and don't be too eager to look around the corner yet. Okay, so... Um, Darkness is, was, that was really, really a dark time. And at some point, I dropped out of school, and then I got interested in the idea of, there was a lot of starvation going on at that time, and there was this concern that we wouldn't be able to produce enough food to feed the world. And I, 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 I grabbed that on that as something worth pursuing. And I went into agricultural research, and I got an undergraduate degree, and then I went on to get a, um, a graduate degree in genetics that could be used for crop improvement. And you know what? Agriculture is like a bubble within the university. It's kind of more down-to-earth people, literally and figuratively. And so, um, actually, I, I encountered more wholesome people, and I met this really wonderful, wholesome young lady and married her, and that was second to salvation, the best thing that ever happened to me. So um, that was grace. And so when I graduated from the University of Wisconsin, I took a position at Cornell, which just opened up, and I thought, okay. And I, it was, that was God's grace. And then when I was at Cornell, uh, things happened. And again, at the time I thought it was me, but I'm actually really an ordinary person. But God, God was doing things in my life, and... Um, my research, I just had spectacular success in academia and in terms of biotechnology. And so um, um, about eight years into Cornell, I had invented several important inventions, and the technology I had was, uh, was being sought by Monsanto and DuPont, and they were all lining up, and I had started a little company with my, one of my co-inventors, and uh, it, was like, it was like surreal what was happening. And um, while that was happening, I was having incredible success, um, but my marriage was failing. So here's these two things going on in my life. 
So one part's going up and the other part's going down. And so, um, so even while I was having this spectacular earthly success, um, I was being humbled. And so, um, so my wife had the good sense, as our, as our marriage was coming in glue, we already had two beautiful children, uh, to, to go to church. She was brought up Jewish, she had never been in a church. And so, but she went into a little church and she f- immediately felt the presence of God. And so, so she, she asked me to come along and I'd take along, you know, like condescending, okay, yeah, I'll do that with you. And as we, and really I never knew the gospel. So, uh, so we're in this little church and we're seeing the love and then in the genuine love and, uh, and we start to hear about Jesus. And in, in a humble state, I, you know, I believe that no one comes to Jesus except on their knees. And so uh, if, you're, if you were saved as a little child, you were probably very humble at that time. And you're still, uh, and now you're probably, you know, struggling with pride because it, it's like an infectious disease. But at any rate, he was humbling us and we started to go to church and we eventually got, got saved in that little church and it was an amazing thing. And so um, at some point, my Helen wanted to be baptized and, she, and so I, she asked if I'd like to be baptized with her and I said, no, nah. I got baptized as a kid and um, like the night before the baptism, I, 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 I said, I'd like to be baptized because, you see, the other thing that's happening in my life as I'm becoming a Christian is I'm terrified that people at Cornell will learn of that. And so, like, I'm a, kind of like, people might ask me, are you a Christian? And I'd go, well, sort of. Well, right, that's, that doesn't work, does it? It's like being sort of pregnant, right? And so... Um, <laughs> So I said, you know what? I'd really like to be able to say I'm a Christian. I want to step across the line. And so I, I decided, okay, I'll be baptized with, with you, Helen, and a couple other people that day. But I really didn't fully understand what it was about, to tell you the truth. Um, so I, I finally, I get, get into the, the pool, and so I'm up to here in water, and uh, the pastor, who's a farmer, has his wading boots you know, up to here so he can stay dry. And so... <laughs> And so um, we were in a very liberal church. Actually, it was very loving, and we, we met Jesus there, but very liberal. And so um, the pastor said, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And um, I was kind of, you know, Savior, yeah, that sounds, I, I, good. I, I agree with that. But he said Lord and Savior, which actually in my liberal little church, they didn't talk about Actually, they didn't usually talk even about salvation. They just talked about loving Jesus, and they didn't talk about lordship. And so here I am, and he's just asked me this question, and I'm up to here, and the church is out there, and, um, and something snapped in my brain, and I said, if I say yes, that means I have to do whatever he says. Imagine that. And he's going to, and, I, and I, I, it was very clear, I think it was the Holy Spirit, really, I don't think it was my brain, 
because it happened in a fraction, a microsecond, I thought, God is going to ask me to believe all this crazy stuff about Genesis and all the other things that I would just, before, would brush aside. And um, I said, the, the voice in my head said, um, if you do that, it will ruin your Cornell career. You, you will, you'll be ridiculed within university. And um, so in, the, in that microsecond, I also said, yes, that's what I want. And so, <clears throat> so it's interesting. I guess some people are, are saved gradually and some people are saved in a moment and some people are saved in the baptismal. <laughs> and so, and so uh, it's kind of unusual. So about that time, the, the, the technology was exploding and uh, so I was having this big success with the technology but actually, a more important, I, I knew it was more important, was um, I had stepped across the line. So, um, in a sense, even though that moment that, that, uh, that I was baptized, I sensed that I would have to confront Genesis 1 through 11, um, God, had to, God didn't set me on that path yet. So the, the first thing that God did, well, the first thing was I felt joy, really real joy. The second thing that happened was God put it on my heart that I had to clean up my life and my thought life. And so um, there was an amazing move of God going on at that time in America called Promise Keepers. And um, I, I joined that and, and they taught some pretty radical things. They said, Christian men need to be radically faithful to Jesus. And Christian men have to be radically faithful to their spouse. And Christian men have to be radically faithful to their children and to their parents. And Christian men have to be radically faithful to other Christian men, especially in terms of racial reconciliation, so that people aren't segregated by the sh what shade of brown they are. And so uh, God worked on me for maybe 10 years before, he, we, uh, before someone challenged me with uh, evolution. And someone said, uh, I was going to help at the Christian high school. And uh, they said, well, we, will you teach both sides uh, in terms of evolution? And I go, well, yeah, what's the other side? So I'd been a Christian in this liberal little church for 10 years, and I'd never, I didn't even know there was a creation movement. And I had been a scientist at Cornell for by then maybe 20 or 30 years, and I didn't know there was an ID movement, that there were people who were saying things are designed. And so someone loaned me Michael Behe's book, which is, you know, just goes this far, right? All he does is say, gee, it looks like this couldn't happen by just mutation selection. And for that, he was, you know, an enemy of the state from, from the point of view of most universities. But that opened my eyes, and it started a process. Um, and I started to study the other side for the first time in my life when I was in my late 40s. 
And I discovered that there's all these fascinating things that I'd never heard. You know, in the middle of biology, I didn't know about how irreducible complexity or all the, all the many, many evidences that support a biblical view. But there was a two to three year period where I was transitioning and uh, it was mental anguish. You do not deprogram your brain overnight because there's stuff that I had so deeply embedded in my mind that it took a, it took a long time, actually. And actually, I know, I know a lot of creation scientists, and at least half of them, I'd say, were, were evolutionists, and, and all of them went through a period of anguish as they tried to sort out the, all these issues, all these very complex issues. And uh, it finally came down to, I remember sitting in the living room and a chair, and there are a pile of books here, textbooks and evolutionary books, and I had a pile of creation and ID books here. And I was just like, man, they both, they both have strong arguments. I could, I, could, I could argue either way, really. Uh, these people have more credibility. They're Nobel laureates. They can, you know, they, they're the high-profile uh, people. Um, but these people make a credible case and I, and I actually made a, this was my second, actually my third conversion. My first conversion was conversion from, you know, embracing science and then it leading to atheism. My second conversion was my actual salvation. But, but my, when I decided, I made a decision at that moment, similar to the decision I made in the baptism, I go, these people are primarily atheists and they hate the word of God with a few exceptions and even the theistic evolutionists in this stock are arguing, are hostile to even a design. So they're believing in some sort of pantheistic God. These people are my brethren. They're taking the heat. They're taking the abuse. They're taking, uh, they're fighting an uphill battle. They're, you know, basically, uh, you can't fight City Hall, but they're trying to fight City Hall. And I go, okay, these are my brethren. I go with them. And it was a decision that I would, that I made regardless of the evidence. It wasn't, a, it was, um, it was basically just committing to the word of God. So I would say at that moment, I not only submitted to Christ, which I had done in the baptismal, I submitted to the word of God. And that was, that was a huge turning point for me. Um, so, So for 10 years, I was a theistic evolutionist between I was saved and when I made the decision to submit to the word of God. I was a theistic evolutionist, but not intentionally, but by default. I literally didn't know there was another point of view. And in our liberal little church, there was no discussion of intelligent design or, or, or any attempt to actually look at Genesis 1 through 11. When the evidence became available to me, I, was, I rejoiced. So that's a big distinction. There's theistic evolutionists who just have never heard, <laughs> and then there are theistic evolutionists who are committed because when I became an atheist in high school, one of the biggest things that changed in my character was I became extremely proud. And that's like, as, as I've known many atheists and have been one, I see that's one of the signature qualities of atheism, is atheists are not just that they hold the view, they hold it militantly and proudly. 
And so, um, so yes, I, I, was a, I guess I was a really slow learner, both in terms of discovering the Lord and discovering uh, the truth of Scripture. So I made a flip. I did a, this radical conversion, and, uh, and once I had done that, and I knew it would cost me something. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of people choose not to even look at creation scientists because they know if they go there, it's going to cost them something. There is a cost to following Jesus, right? So, um, when I took this position, I said, okay, as a, as a Bible-believing Christian, I'm trained in genetics. How do I, what do I do with this? I didn't know any, any other creation scientists. I was totally isolated. And um, so I started to visit people like ICR and, um, and um, other creation scientists. They'd go knocking on their door. Can I talk to you? How do you explain this and that? And so um, one of the things that I discovered as I delved into these things was that when I would go back onto the Cornell campus, I would have this really strong emotional sensation of fear. And what I know is that most creationists on campuses are very afraid. Not a little afraid, very afraid. Um, we have a campus nearby where we have a Russia, my wife and I have a Russia Christie club. It's a Christian apologetics club at a local secular university. And we, I was talking with some of the faculty because we were trying to get a fac the faculty to come together as a Christian um, fellowship. And everybody said they were afraid and, they, and, the, and the people who wouldn't come, who we knew were Christians but didn't want to even come to a discussion, they were all afraid. Faculty and Christian students alike on secular campuses are afraid. Striking. Now, there's two, there's two things going on. One is I'm a coward, okay? But it's more than that, because there's a spirit of intimidation on the campus. And, even, and if you also want to go on campus and, let's say, dialogue with someone about, let's say, the sexual revolution or gender, again, there's fear. There's fear. And it's palpable. So the uh, university group on our campus has decided not to talk about anything controversial, because there's, there's so much fear. Um, that's because, why is there fear? It's because there is spiritual war. When you choose to believe God and believe his word, you're stepping into a spiritual battleground. And if you don't sense it yet, when you get, graduate and get into the real world, you will fear, and the question is, will your fear silence you? Because the easiest way is to just go with the flow. <laughs> fear goes away as soon as you decide to go with the flow and do the group think or remain silent, which is un perpetually uncomfortable. So, let's, let's talk about spiritual warfare. A lot of people think, oh, that's kind of spooky, and that sounds too goofy, right? But if you, as you read scripture, spiritual warfare is, this, is a unifying theme that starts in Genesis 3 and goes to Revelation 20. It's all spiritual war. 
and all the language that's used in the New Testament is about fighting the good fight and, um, and tearing down strongholds and refuting lie, powerful lies. So this is where I'd like to exhort you all. Not only are you privileged to be in a safe place with fellow believers, with, with God-fearing um, pastors and professors, um, you've been given much. And to, to whom much is given, much is expected. I exhort you to think of yourselves as leaders, the future leaders of your generation. As dark as my college experience was, most of your generation are, exp- are experiencing something darker. The campus, campuses are much darker now than they were then. And it's not the atheism on campus that's scary, it's the alternative spiritualities on campus that's scary. And those, and those are, uh, and the intimidation is coming from that. So, I would like to suggest to you that Satan has three tricks, and he's always used these three tricks. He may have some other tricks, but these are big, the three big ones, in my opinion. Seduction, um, deception, and distraction. And you all experience seduction, you know about that. And you've been protected from a lot of um, deception, but you know, you're all on Facebook and you're, you're subject to stuff through that and this idea of wanting to have lots of friends and lots of, and getting approval. And that's a seduction too. And um, Christians across the board, a huge number of Christians are, are going with the flow. Uh, they're they're going to believe the popular that all religions are equal, and um, and you can make up your own truth. But for a lot of you, it's neither of those. It's distraction. It's video games or Facebook or fun. I want you to all have fun. I hope you have a wonderful, fun experience here. But and I want you to um, be joyful, and laughter and joy is should be a trademark of all Christians. So this seems like a happy place as far as I can tell and praise the Lord because that's how, how else should you be. But you are in a training ground to enter into a spiritual war when you leave here and guess what? Your generation has, is in darkness and it, the darkness is growing and their only light is you. You are the light of your generation. If you don't shine then that we lose the millenn- your generation and there won't be a church in America except for a, you know, a few handful of, <laughs> of home churches. That's what's at stake is this culture is changing so fast that if someone doesn't speak the truth in love, then, then it's over. We know it's not over because Christ is going to return and, and, we, and that Christ is victorious, but... Stakes are very high. Souls are at stake. You have been given enlightenment. You have, give, have the Holy Spirit. You are the hope of the future. 
Start thinking of yourself as leaders, leaders in training. You may not be in Christian ministry as a vocation, but you will certainly be in Christian ministry as an avocation. I'm calling you to um, start planning your life in in that light. Okay, how am I gonna serve the Lord and how am I gonna reach my friends who are unbelievers? One of the things, I'd like to just read you a, a, a short scripture verse that I feel is um, incredibly powerful. One of the most disturbing uh, passages in the Bible and, and incredibly relevant to us in our age. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. God will send them or allow, perhaps, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in God in unrighteousness. So why would God send a powerful delusion or even allow a powerful delusion? And what is the powerful delusion? I don't think it's evolution. It's bigger than evolution. Although evolution is part of the Evolution is a very powerful delusion. And so it is, it is not to be taken lightly. I suggest that the delusion is that it goes back to the Garden of Eden. We should be our own gods. Man will make the rules. And truth is defined by the, the academics and the gurus. And so, and the, therefore the truth is that Truth comes from the Lord, and God decides. And that, 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 is the, that, is the, that is the way God will separate the sheep from the goats. Is he allows the delusion, and the question is, who wants the delusion? Hey, the delusion's pretty attractive. You get to do what you want. You, wanna, you can believe what you want. You can think of yourself as your own master. Or you can choose to... Submit to the Lord. And, and that, that, we, that is how we're being sorted. So let's just look at the evolution piece of this because that's my, when God called me into ministry, it was to defend the thing I used to believe in. I think it's kind of God's punishment <laughs> for being a, a very staunch evolutionist for so long. Now God wants me to repay pay some penitence by standing against this powerful delusion. So I was invited uh, to uh, visit a theistic evolutionist, someone who's kind of a rising star in the uh, BioLogos group, a very youthful, enthusiastic Christian man who's passionate about evolution and that that Christians have to get on board with evolution. And... um, we spent a couple of days together. He invited me there. He, and of course, he wants to convert me t- 
back to where I came from, which could never happen because I know how dark, what the spiritual implications of that are. But um, at some point I said, you know, evolution is powerful. And he responded, he said, you are so wise to say that. Well, I guess that's not too surprising. But no, that's not what he meant. He said, you're so wise to say that because either it's powerful because it's true or it's powerful because, and I finished the sentence for him, because it's a deception, a powerful deception. He said, yes. So he got it. He knew it's either true or the powerful deception in 2 Thessalonians. And he has not yet been able to, uh, I think, internalize that. But, um, but yes, evolution is powerful, but it is not our master. We don't submit to it because God is greater than the he who is in the world. And so Rob and I were having a really interesting conversation. Dr. Rob Carter, who you'll be hearing from later. Uh, we, and we both, both came to the same conclusion, basically. Because um, we've been doing research, creation honoring research for 12 years, collaborating something like 12 years and um, fighting the good fight in that arena and struggling against these really powerful evidences that are being promoted. And we both came to the same conclusion. Although all of these powerful evidences for evolution at first glance look really compelling, really, really convincing, you look a little deeper and they still look really pretty, pretty convincing and you look a little deeper and dig deeper and not just the shiny, glossy, you know, superficial analysis and you go, there's problems with this. There are major problems with this. And then and finally you come to the conclusion, this model is invalid, it has fatal flaws. And we've both, Rob and I, and I'm sure that Andrew, you've done the same thing, is, is, as you press into it, all of a sudden, those things that look um, unsurmountable start to just crumble, because it's a facade. It's like this big fancy facade, and, and, but behind it, you, it's all made of cardboard. Um, and so, there's, um, and so God has not abandoned us. The evidences that are coming forward now are incredibly encouraging, but guess what? Most of the world does this. We don't hear you. We don't want to hear you. The evidences that God is giving are for his people. And the rest of the world are blinded to it. And so if you don't want it, you won't get it. So... Um, so I'm going to end just by saying, um, get in the game, get in the, count the cost, and, uh, and make a difference for your generation. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to close with a prayer. Lord God, I ask you to bless these young people. I do pray, Lord, that you would um, give them your joy a joy that's a different from worldly joy, but a joy that is eternal. I ask you, Lord, to give them strength. I ask you to give them wisdom. And I ask you, Lord, to protect them from the evil one. 
I ask you to protect them from seduction and, and uh, deception and from distraction, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, to show them how they can make a difference. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.